Hey listeners, this is part one of a two-part episode. To find the second episode, uh, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash plan A Meg. I've learned a lot since I last saw you. I've learned that death is not the end. I can help you, help you, help you, help you. Welcome back to yet another episode of Escape from Plan A. Um, this time, I decided I am decided to take a stab at hosting. Don't do that very often, but that's mainly because the two like show main show uh, the stars of the show today are <laughs> Eliza, yay, Eliza, woo, and um, and Philip. Yay! What up? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, this is this is one that's pretty special to me. I, we've been trying to talk about how to do this for it feels like a couple of months now, right? Um, yeah, uh, this is this is kind of in response. I know that uh, T and Adam and Kyle had responded to um, a response to our episode about uh, me becoming a parent. Where so someone in the chat was like, "You guys are parents yet? You can't talk about parenting." Um, so they talked about it there, but we're going to talk about it again here because Eliza is actually a member of the Plan A uh, editorial staff who is a parent, um, and I thought it'd be good to have this conversation with her. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I thought that that conversation was kind of funny. I, I know we've like mentioned it a couple times in different pods, but I just I thought it was kind of funny. It's you know, it's uh, you know, you guys you guys don't have the right to talk about it because none of you guys are parents, despite the topic being how to make the decision to become parents, which inherently someone who has crossed that bridge has already like they don't you already made that decision. We're talking yeah. about the process, the lead up to that decision. And they skewered and teen and then teen's like, well, dumbass, the one parent who is in the trenches. Well, she's not here because she's raising three kids right now. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> you're going to have to just deal with who's around. Uh, that's why. So like, but like. You know, um, I mean, we've had a lot of parenting content, but, you know, um, like it, it seemed kind of timely for one thing, you know, uh, shout out again. The Plan A family is growing. Thank you, Philip. Uh, <laughs> the courtesy of Philip. Doing my part, uh, yeah. How far along are you guys now? Uh, we're just a couple months away, so soon I will be not. Yeah, okay. Anymore. Less yeah. than that, though, yeah. right? Because yep. what's the due date? Early April. Early April. Wow. Yeah, it's and, that time's going to fly. By the time you hit like 36 weeks, I mean, that's like, that's the home stretch. Yeah, we're really close. I mean, it could happen, right? So, yeah. and, and mm-hmm. it's also like, so, this is a right time. My boys were born at 36 weeks oh, and then wow. my daughter oh, yeah. came at 41 weeks. She went the whole way. Yeah. 30, so but both of my boys were a month early. Yeah, mm-hmm. and we're and we're going through all this stuff that's relevant to today's topic, right? Like we're acquiring all the goods, all like the, you know, the, the equipment and all the supplies and so on, you know. And we're going through all the classes and pre- preparing, you know, mentally for the whole thing. So it's it's very relevant to what we're talking about today, I think. Yeah. So we've had we've had content about you know the decision to become a parent, you know, all the pressures and restrictions that people face in, tra- in navigating that whole mess of decision making. But you know, considering like for people who have made that decision to have families, that's pretty much that's a whole nother ball game of issues. Then right. Um, it means that you you have decided to have children. You know why, right? That that personal decision has already been made. But now you're you're entering a whole different world, right? Like so, how to do this parenting, right? And that's never a neutral question. There's never there's never really as much as we would like to pretend that it is. Like you're just navigating your own ideology and approach to parenting. There's a lot of social pressure around you that shapes the decisions that you make, and and you know can restrict the kinds of decisions you are able to make to begin with. Once you decide to have kids, once you're pregnant, it is like the most fraught topic all the <laughs> way until probably until you're a grandparent, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because even at that age, like you're still you're still guiding your children even when like you know, like my my parents, 
definitely had, but my family definitely had plenty of advice when, when I was pregnant and when my kids were young, they don't anymore, mostly because, um, mostly because they focus on the younger members of the family who are just now getting pregnant. (laughs) That like a lot of that judgment and, um, those fraught conversations, they do ease up the older your kids get. Okay, so when you, when say- you are in the trenches, like in baby land or in pregnancy land, that's when it's the most fraught. So when you say fraught, you mean like people outside of you and your partner telling you shit about being a parent? Tell Yeah, they definitely try to impose their yeah. own beliefs. They definitely try to tell you what you need to do. What's the most important thing like that they can think of? All of they, they funnel all of their values and their anxieties onto you. Mm. But the older your kids get, they lay off. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I know yeah. why, and I'll get to that later on. <laughs> cool. All right. Yeah. So, um, so I guess the broad strokes of the topic we're, topic we're trying to cover today is, um, so how do you navigate parenting within, you know, parenting is bounded by a lot of things, right? Uh, the big pillars being, you know, race, culture, um, and class, right? What, what specific, what, you know, where do you fall on that matrix of identifiers, right? And that, that determines a lot of how you approach parenting, Um <clears throat> All three of us here uh, are members of the PMC, and I guess we'll go a little bit deeper into the definition, but loosely that stands for professional managerial class. So that's probably the more accurate term for uh, what's probably in previous eras called middle class or middle class, like upper middle class, right? Um, Upper middle class, yeah. Yeah. It's it's been called, I think that PMC is a relatively new term though, right? Because they used to be called like yuppies or they used to be called like the bohemian bourgeois, right? Uh, yeah, I think it started as a as a, a academic concept like around yeah. 30 years ago. And like prior to Trump, we called them the liberal elites like during yeah. Clinton's campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I guess um, I guess today PMC, the way I see I don't think PMC is in usage that much if you're not very super online. Like I think people say stuff like the laptop class, like post pandemic, or they say like people with email jobs. Yeah. Yeah. White, white collar knowledge yeah. workers. That if kind of you shit, were allowed right? to work from home during the pandemic, yeah. you might be PMC. You might be. You probably yeah. are. That's, yeah. that's probably a very, very good, like empirical. With exceptions, metric. of course. Yeah. Yeah. If you had to di- attend a diversity seminar for work, <laughs> I think that you qualify as PMC. If you were issued, like we already said, if you were issued a laptop for work, you are definitely PMC. Um, probably, I think that the exceptions to all this is like public school teachers, nurses, daycare workers. I think that if your coworkers want to unionize, I don't think you're included in PMC. There's been I a lot of white collar unionization recently though. So I don't know if that fully fits, but well, I think you're it's probably because a correct. lot of these yeah. jobs that I just mentioned, I think that they qualify as white collar because you need a college degree to do it. Yeah. College degree but then, is not that's one of the tensions. That's one of the dislocations, right? Um, so mm-hmm. this is like it's showing the frictions in where we're stagnating and regressing as a society, right? A lot of these people took on like they might have taken on student loans, went to college, delayed, you know, adulthood by that by you know num- a good number of years to get the credentialing that uh, we were also told we had to get to be able to be part of the the PMC, the upper middle class. Right. Uh, And one of the problems that is accelerating the last 10 years is that the income um, that that we thought was promised to this class has been eroding. Right. Mm -hmm. Like teachers, um, nurses, that tier of uh, of middle class labor, like everyone. We don't need to go over. Everyone's heard how abysmally they're paid. They're treated. um, It's bad. I saw in the news today, somebody said that somebody making $100,000 today would be like making $43,000 in the 90s. Yeah, there was that there was that link I mm-hmm. sent you, right, of that um, report that came out of a New York, well, the New York Post reported on about how people making 100k today as of like last year, more than half of them are living paycheck to paycheck. 
right? That's like, like, like it sounds figures. like it's unbelievable because it's like six figures. It sounds like you've made it. Yeah. I think it depends on where you live too. Sure, of course. I mean, yeah, it's, it. it's broad, right? Yeah. But, the, but the point is that, you know, people even up to, let's say, software engineers who are famously, you know, overpaid are now being cut back in all these layoffs and so on, right? And there's a lot of talk about people being laid off at the very top, making the most, the highest salaries because they're trying to cut back even on those folks in, in that mm-hmm. class. And software engineers are a pretty prototypical PMC uh, profession. Especially in them, they're probably the the poster ch- children of the new PMC, especially right. over the last decade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the problems of the, this class is that um, it's not only where you are, it's where you aspire to be, right? Which informs like your politics, mm-hmm. the lifestyle that you expect and that you're striving for, basically. So one of the traps is that even if you fall outside of the income range that's required to support a prototypical PMC lifestyle you may still be personally oriented towards that, right? I think a lot of writing about millennial angst was actually about class anxiety. Mm, And mm -hmm. one of the reasons why PMC is just not used as a term is that in the last decade, I feel like we were oriented towards using like personal identifiers like race and culture, uh, like different personal identifying identifiers uh, as more like salient salient points to discuss like the problems of society but we're not told to talk about like class issues so we don't talk about pmc we talk about like millennial angst or something as if it's like millennials like a culture right (laughs) it's it's really described as like like what's wrong with millennials like our culture is just bad uh or something like that right like we just don't want to work that is one common descriptor of the pmc is that like they themselves don't understand that they're that they are in that class and that that class exists Mm -hmm. It's almost like they're in yeah. denial of, of it being definitely you know, denial. Yeah, they know it exists. Yeah, but they don't want to be a part of it because it's so um, it's so derided. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of like remember hipsters. It was like the <laughs> one subculture where no one wanted to admit that they were part of it. Yeah, because the hipsters are the the like the aftermath of the the bohemians, right? So it mm-hmm. you know. It- I mean, I'll just I'll just quote. This is from 1976, um, so way back in the day. But I mean, tell me if the if this doesn't start sounding a little uncomfortably familiar. So uh, this is from uh, Hans Magnus Enzenberger, a German a German author and like sociologist. Um, his 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 description of the PMC is. Um, I'll just read the quote. For just as this class can be defined only in negative terms, so its self-understanding is also negative. The petty bourgeois wants to be anything other than a petty bourgeois. He tries to gain his identity not by allegiance to his class, but by separating himself off from it and denying it. But what links him with his own kind is just what he contests. The petty bourgeois is always someone else. The strange self-hatred acts as a cloak of invisibility. With its help, the class as a whole has made itself almost invisible. Invisible Solidarity and collective are out of the question for it, for it will never attain the self-consciousness of a distinct class. Yeah, in, t- in today's terms, it's like the thing how, you know how everybody, everybody thinks they're the middle class? Mm-hmm. Like there's actually an issue where people are like, can't, can't really f- place exactly where they sit on the income spectrum and they all kind of assume they have middle class issues like when, middle- Mitt, when Mitt Romney said that he was middle class <laughs> yeah I mean that's an extreme example right but yeah yeah I mean I think it, it's interesting to bring in like race into into this right to to like um uh like none of the none of the article source material that we're, we're citing from today uh goes into that and it's outside that's not a criticism that's outside their scope right mm-hmm. but for us like it's interesting to come at this from the perspective of a non-white pmc here um to see how race intersects with this like especially this part about the strange self-hatred acts as a cloak of invisibility and you know uh, and um, always trying to be someone else. I I feel like we have seen a lot of misdirection from the non-white PMC class uh, when whenever, especially whenever they try to talk about issues of race or sexuality or what what whatever. Um, like you guys remember that Bertrand Cooper article that came out in Current Affairs? I think I think it's about two years ago at this point. Um, he he was he was basically calling out the uh, black. Uh, bourgeois media class 
uh, for like making its name not only on the on uh, basically off the off the blood of people like George Floyd and like mm-hmm. like other victims of police violence, but mm-hmm. they themselves are middle or upper upper class black people who have who have very um, you know middle class lives who basically make their name kind of appropriating like poor black stories. Yeah. What, what's he calls the, out several. <clears throat> what's the term that I think maybe Trevor uses for in Champion Sharks? Like this, the something 10th, like the and a magnificent 10th or something like that. Like just referring to the, the, the elite, talented 10th, talented 10th. Yeah. Yeah the, yeah. the elite of the class. Right. Yeah. And he taught, he goes into things like uh, Harvard, Harvard statistics, right? Um, like black representation in student body has risen in the last like 20 years. Sure. It's gone from like eight to maybe I think like in the teens, somewhere in the teens. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so it sounds like a win and they'll promote that as a as a total win. And it's hard to say it's not right. No one's saying that it's not a win that there that there are uh that there are more black people going, being able to like access the credentialism that Harvard provides. But he also, he also noted that um, all of those gains in representation were from like black middle-class and upper-class kids. Right. Um, And then, and then they, and then the ones, those who pursue media careers, uh, I think he, he cites people like, uh, like Daniel Glover, others that, um, they all make their names talking about like quote the black experience and mm-hmm, by and large mm-hmm. it's never a middle class experience it's always like a ghetto experience or or something else and there's an inauthenticity to that because those are that's not who they are um so this this act of like kind of denying so like so it's a weird we're kind of in this weird double consciousness thing where we're both saying that uh we kind of assume that everyone is middle class but also nobody's middle class right when mm-hmm. it's a non-white pmc we kind of lean more on the fact our our like our racial credentials here like they were not white pmcs we kind of distance ourselves from that uh and whatever like personal identifier can d- help, help like disambiguate yourself from this uh kind of despised middle you you latch on to that so there's i mean how I mean, many call outs have we seen on social media like someone larping as some something and like they're rich or something yeah it happens all the time but i think what i will say about that though is that of all the kind of like people of color pmcs there is no race more deeply in the pmc than asian americans i would say Right, just like looking at that like is very true. the list of or Jewish people, I, I suppose, yeah. But like looking, at, you know, the, like Catherine Liu, you know, we read her her um, essay in uh, her book, Virtue Hoarders. Um, the PMC has children. That's the essay. We'll link it in the show notes. But she, in the introduction to the book, she she like lists a bunch of professions that she thinks kind of fall squarely within the PMC, and she wrote, um, you know, credentialed professionals like. Uh, Cultural industry creatives, journalists, software engineers, scientists, professors, doctors, bankers, lawyers. It really feels like 2G Asian Americans, specifically second-gen Asian Americans, fall squarely in those professions, right? Uh, Yeah. I mean, if not falling squarely, like aspiring to be in that class. Yeah, so that's, that's considered like the North Star of like existence as a as an Asian in America. Like you, that's the North Star. If you haven't reached that, you kind of you, you're kind of expected to justify yourself if you haven't. Sure. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, when I'm not saying it. there aren't any you know working class two G right. Asians, right? But we're talking about a lot of them, especially at least the ones we talk about, the bobas and so on. Not the bobos, but the bobas. Um, <laughs> you fall squarely there, and and with that comes all the anxieties that come with being PMCs, and when they become parents, all the anxieties that come with being a PMC parent, as well. Yeah. So I mean, let's talk about what it means to be a PMC parent in this case, right? Um, and it's kind of interesting to see, like, take that access and like kind of cut through like major issues especially maybe asian american issues right like i don't think you can understand like the particular intensity of the debate over like harvard admissions without uh taking seriously the anxieties uh very real anxieties either i don't mean anxiety to mean that like it's not real or something like they are responding to a certain set of pressures that are very real and have very real uh manifest can manifestations in a person's life it can severe it can impact um it can impact your life depending on how how 
how how you respond to these pressures, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, can, I read this, can I read this paragraph that Catherine Leo wrote in her, her essay that I yeah, think kind of encapsulates this a little bit? Being a PNC parent, she says, um, uh, fear <laughs> is one of the distinctive features of contemporary middle-class parenting. As middle-class parents, imagine what an unsuccessful child might have to face in the future. Even with full-time hired help, PMC working parents are stressed about infant pedagogy and proper stimulation while putting down the double salaries that allow them to maintain upper middle class consumption habits. I think that's pretty I think that's a pretty good way to kind of capture, right? Because it talks about the sort of spending patterns, like the, the monetary spending patterns around this style of parenting, but also all the anxieties around not just like how to raise your kid, but to raise them to not be unsuccessful. Like, I don't know if yeah. it's so much as raising them to be successful, but to raise them to not be unsuccessful, i.e. not to fall fall from the, the kind of class, you know, stratum that you've you've made yourself, you know, you, you've climbed up to yourself, right? Not not regressing. Um, yeah, that that's sense. fair. I mean, one of the criticisms of PMC is that there was a lot of debate over, is this even a class, right? Uh, mm-hmm. in, in a traditional, like in a traditional sense. And the argument there is no, it's really not because uh, for, for one very stark reason, it's a class that has, you have to earn your way into, right? You cannot be born PMC. You can be born to PMC parents who give you all the, all, uh, all grease the wheels, maybe make it, make it help help you have an easier time for you to also earn your credentials needed to enter that class. Right. But you need the credentials, meaning you need the college education. Yeah. But it's not, it's not a birthright, right? So unlike a a classic like Marxist proletarian or like a feudal system where everything is basically, you are the class, you are by birth, the class that your parents occupied. This is an inherently precarious situation. It has to be constantly, you have to earn your way into it generation after generation. Yeah, and you can fall out of it too. You can be, yeah. And the, I think a lot of the anxiety is that that, uh, that road to going through the, the, making it through the gates is getting harder and harder and more and more expensive. Mm-hmm. With that said, I think the, the money factor is a big part of it, right? Because with, with, these dual incomes, right? With with enough money, you can find a lot of different. You have a lot of different options to buy your way in. They're not guarantees, um, but they're definitely a big part of of making it in. And it, it's not just about like getting into the right college and paying for the college, but like all the other stuff leading up to it as well, right? Like I think about you know even even when the kids like a toddler, <laughs> and all those kind of like brown wood toys that are really popular right now, right? That's brown a, wood. What do you mean? Like like toys that are like made out of you know un, unpainted unfinished wood, like toys that are like oh, they have this toxic. Yeah, well, not <laughs> just about the the safety factor, but also like the idea that the toys are are there to be like an educational tool. They're meant to be like toys that teach how to get into you know to, to prepare your kid to get into Harvard. <laughs> oh, no. That's so um, bleak. And uh-huh. you know what I'm talking about, Eliza? You mean like like toys that like. There's, there's these like kits yeah. you can buy. I'm starting to see this shit now, right? Like there's these like... Yeah, you're probably going to get advertised um, all that stuff now that you're about to have a baby. But like there's all these things like they tell you, they give you advice that like doesn't work. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you put headphones around your mo- the mother's pregnant belly and like play Mozart because it's like, you know, baby Mozart. It's supposed to make the kids smarter if they hear it. Mm-hmm. And it's Is like, that on, still that- a thing? Yeah, wow. it is. It is. And like, it doesn't work. <laughs> it's still perpetuated, even though it doesn't work, right? Like, it's still kind You know, about... what works is like eating fruits and vegetables when you're pregnant, you know, or like getting, if you have a meat craving for like red meat, just eat the red meat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you're going to see all kinds of stuff about like, what kind of stuff that the baby should listen to or that they should do. Well, they when should they're be exposed in their, in their infancy, and it's like, come on, that stuff doesn't but matter. But the point you made, you made right there, lies is first it, year it, you're it, just trying to keep them alive. If you can get past that, <laughs> it's like. But the point is know. that even before they're fucking born, like you, like you said, that putting headphones up to your belly so they can hear Mozart and shit, so they'll come out become a classical pianist. Like what the fuck, you know? There like, are some private. There are some preschools around here where, um, so preschool, if you don't know, it starts at the ages three and four. So it's pre-kindergarten. So at the ages of three, four, five, that's when you put your kids into preschool. 
-hmm. And there are some preschools here that are like supposedly like Ivy League feeders because from that preschool you go on to like an Ivy League feeder kindergarten and elementary and then an Ivy League middle school and high school or Ivy League feeder um, middle school and high school. And there are some preschools that have wait lists that are very like years long. And some of the women on these wait lists are probably only like eight weeks pregnant. <laughs> wow. Like, right. That's how long the wait lists are for some of these private, these uh, preschools. And it's like, God, that it doesn't even matter. Preschool is such a waste of time. I was about to say they must have amazing marketing teams, but I also think maybe they don't even need amazing marketing teams, right? Like maybe the anxiety that PMC The anxiety is already built in. Yeah, but preschool as someone like I had two kids go through I had okay, so my oldest went through preschool and then kindergarten. And then my middle child did one year of preschool and then we yanked him out and mm-hmm. didn't put him back in school until kindergarten. And then my youngest one did no preschool at all. And we just put her into kindergarten. And guess what? They're all pretty much like in the same place that, you know, when my youngest was, was in kindergarten, she was doing just fine with Mm -hmm. all the other kids that did preschool and everything. Mm -hmm. She did exactly the same, you know, so you eventually so it made it. no difference. Like, so let's you- talk about this for a second. Like when we when we talk about like these insane rushes for preschools, these toys, um, you know, um, I think all three of us kind of have this gut reaction of like, oh my god, that's that's crazy. That's uh, like a kind of revulsion, right? We get a gut sense that it's this is not a good thing. Um, let's talk about that. Like, why do we yeah. think it's a yeah why do why does that create such a that feeling in us when clearly it doesn't for other parents uh, who you know for all intents and purposes are not dissimilar for us from us in an in a because material these sense are people who don't like to hear it depends right when when it comes to raising kids the answer is for each child it depends and these are the kinds of parents who they want to know how much is the right amount to spend. And there's no answer. They want to know how long do I have to do this for? And um, what what do I have to do? And how long do I have to do it before I can get the results that I'm looking for? And by how long you got to do, you you mean like how early do I have to start, right? Like at what age? No, I mean like anything, you know, like if someone says, okay, so you should read to your child as much as possible yeah. or you should read to your child make it a habit of reading with your kids sure. reading to your kids before they can read and though these kinds of parents will say okay what do i read how long do i have to read each night and how long do i have to read every night like how many how many months how many years before they could become like before they're like ready for the sats or whatever <laughs> you know and the so answer you, is always going to be it depends Okay. Yeah, that's that's fair. Like your people, child anxious won't die if you are... don't read for a full hour every night, <laughs> three hundred sixty-five days a year. Like your but child they might will not, not get into illiterate. Harvard. Yeah. They might. <laughs> um, so, like, so you're saying like, like a lot of this is like grift. So people like you know these preschools, these toy companies, yes. making a profit. They say they have a solution, and they don't okay. have a solution because the answer is constantly it depends. You know. Mm-hmm. Like, what's what's the percentage of kids that, like, if every parent, all these parents, if the end goal is I want my kids to go to Harvard, right. it's like, well, I think you should start to accept that your child's not going to go to Harvard and you should start there because most aren't based on statistics. Mm-hmm. What made you pull uh, your oldest out of preschool? Was it one of oh, those, like, like hard-hitting, like, no, Harvard prep preschools? Um, well... My oldest one went to one of those super expensive preschools. Mm-hmm. And what then, made you say like this is uh, this is just not for us? Well, because by the time we got to kid number three, it was getting pretty expensive for everything. Oh, <laughs> because uh-huh. at that time, my oldest one was starting to do things like extracurriculars, and he was going to um, a private elementary school. And so at that point, we were just like, God, do we really need to spend this amount of money again? 
And so mm-hmm. we didn't. And I was like, I bet you I could do all that stuff at home. Like I saw what they were doing in preschool and it's like, okay, they're like drawing pictures and they're like playing with toys and they're like learning how to clean up after themselves and follow instructions. And they like teach them some phonics. And it's like, I can do that at home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. yeah. I I guarantee I can just do that at home. We don't have to spend like $17,000 when she's three years old. $17,000? Hey, for preschool? preschools. Yes, yeah, oh, schools are really expensive. <laughs> you aren't kidding. Man, I kind of just want to shoot myself when I think <laughs> about how much money we spent on our <laughs> oldest kid and how little we spent on the youngest kid and how they are pretty much the same. I mean, your <laughs> the own, results have been the same you're, because... You're, to be fair, I mean, as we were discussing before, your oldest kid is pretty clever, but you're saying it's not because of the shit at preschool. Like that's No, not, it's no. not. It's because he's a clever kid. And it's like, come on, we're all PMCs, which means both parents are going to be well-educated. Right. And they come from parents who are also well-educated. Right. And so, like, I think part of the, part of that anxiety, you can let go of it because it's like, well, if both the parents are smart, then, like, the chances are that the child, the children are going to be smart is pretty high. And if you live in a home where there's lots of books and there's lots of stimulation, yeah, you're your saying, child's you're saying gonna you, come out pretty clever. Y- you and your it's partner gonna are smart. gonna you're gonna cultivate an environment where they're gonna, you know, do just fine in terms of like intellectual development, right? Like you're yeah, saying, yeah, and you, you you probably do it without even realize you're doing it too. Sure, just because you're you you already built those habits being in that class already, right? So a lot of exactly. But but with with that all said, I mean, they're still pushing you to spend that money. And a lot of people who, you know, may not see it as clearly as- And I'll tell you right now, it's a waste of money. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like spend the money if you have it and it's nothing for you, or if you're like desperate for childcare. But if you don't need it, you know, because I was a stay-at-home mom too. So I was like, my God, why do I have to send them off to- you know, why do I have to spend them off to a super expensive preschool when it's like, I'm home all the time. I can do all those things. Yeah. I, I think that comment you made about spend spend the money you have to is an important one because it talks about the whole lifestyle creep aspect of being a PMC parent. I, I want get, to get back to that in a second. Can I just like say that it sounds to me like the focal point of all this kind of preschool up until end of high school parenting it's all about college right it's all about college admissions end of the day it's all about college admissions that's right. where all the anxiety is and so, everyone everyone at that preschool when we had like preschool um orientation they were just telling the parents we're going to get your kids academically ready for all the you know all of the uh everything they need to know for yeah. kindergarten it's like wait a minute you back up a little bit. <laughs> These are three-year-olds we're talking about. Yeah. So, so, so okay, so like they that. just learned like, how to use it? the toilet last <laughs> week. <laughs> like, come on, come on, Jimmy. That's not how Harvard grads <laughs> use the bathroom last week, so they could, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's define like what what is successful par- PMC parenting, right? Given the PMC PMCs, then like we know what it was like, right, to attain to get to where we are, right? It like it seems like successful parenting from the perspective of a member of this class is basically a kid who is able to reproduce your own standing mm-hmm. in in society, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, hopefully exceeding, but at the very very minimum. Uh, replicating what you were able to, what you were able to accomplish and yeah. um, and and hold in society yourself, right? Did the three of us go to preschool? Um, no. I did, and I was a total. I brought shame to my upon my family. I was not. <laughs> what did you do? Did you poop or something? No, like like I I just had severe set. Like I still remember it, right? Like, like oh, you you like, were one of the criers. <laughs> Yeah, you I had such bad separation anxiety. Off. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean, I, I like I owe my mom like a mess. I owe her a lot. Like, sh- like my parents were a two income, like two income family, right? So they basically had no choice but to put me in in preschool. This mm-hmm. is right around the time that my mom was like needed to really gun hard to get tenure. So like I just had horrible separation anxiety. Like I lost weight. I was just like my the teacher basically marked me as like developmentally handicapped because like I wouldn't talk. 
Yeah, like she had me like like I had, like my parents had to kind of put up a fight because they had me like like the school just sent me to like a psychologist and a developmental specialist to kind of like get like a like a education program for me set like that's different from the class to kind of get me up to speed with the rest of the kids and my parents were like, "What the heck are you guys talking about?" So basically, like so basically, if your mom was a stay at home mom. Your mom mm-hmm. would have just yanked you all together to avoid all of that, right? Yeah. And you probably still would have gone to MIT. Uh, possibly. Yeah. Who who knows, right? The out the end outcome of that. Who who knows? Uh, I'm but willing I to bet a lot raw, of money like, that if you didn't go to preschool, you still would have gone to MIT. I might have picked a better school, actually. Maybe, I, maybe that trauma was nice like, this. screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go to the Hayes camp. Uh, yeah, fuck it. Yeah. <laughs> How okay. bad could it get? Did you I'm already gone. Preschool? Do they do preschool in Canada? They, they have preschools. They have daycares. I did not go to preschool. Um, my my parents were both working parents, but mm-hmm. we were poor. Like they're both low income parents, right? Mm-hmm. So it really like. I, they probably could afford it. Maybe it would have been a lot of money, but my aunt was a stay at home mom and she mm-hmm. had two kids herself, my cousins. And she so you just, took, just went to her. Yeah. We, we just, she just took care of us through that, that time. And then we just went to kindergarten. That was it. Right. That, there was no right. preschool. Like this, this whole notion, the reason I asked about the whole, like, is the, you know, is the sink the end goal college? Yes, of course it is for PMC parents. I asked about that. Cause to answer your question, Jess, about like, why do I have kind of a distaste or like, incredibly really incredible why am i incredulous about like starting them on this path as early as day uh, daycare is because i personally didn't care about college until i was like 15 or 16 like the anxiety mm-hmm. and there wasn't even that much anxiety because we don't have the same rat race in canada as i've said on this podcast like many times before you know the, and you the- still tar- you still are working with the same people that have all this anxiety whose parents spent thousands hundreds of thousands maybe millions of dollars to get you to get them to the same place that you were yeah like my two so like my two co-founders my company they both were private school kids and Mm -hmm. i don't think i'm any like i went to the same college as them pretty much and i don't think i'm (laughs) i'm actually better educated than i have a master's they don't and i don't think that they like are necessarily that smarter than i am you know because i've gone through private school they were they they're well connected they got some buddies who have a lot of fucking money and connections um, that I don't have, to be fair, right? And that could help them in their career. But aside from that, when we got to the point where we started our business, we were kind of on level playing a level playing field. Um, so, but so that just goes along with what I've been saying all along, which is it depends. I mean, look at the three of us. Yeah, this, the, the, the it depends thing is is interesting because it can both be useful for marketing this shit to PMCs, but also it kind of refutes it as well, right? Like. Is it an element of just should consumer, you listen to the marketing, like, marketing or should you listen to your gut and listen to your kids? But the problem is the the gut for a lot of these PC parents is extreme anxiety about maintaining that. When that the class show, so when your kids are very very young and you don't know their personalities yet, you kind of don't know how clever they are yet. You know, because mm-hmm. they they don't really talk; they just cry and they, they just <laughs> crawl around and cry a lot. Well, I can see how that makes parents anxious the crying no the fact that you just don't know who your kid is yet oh yeah sure yeah of course yeah you know it gets easier when your kids are a little older to tell a parent well you got to listen to your kids what is it is it going to benefit your kids or not is spending that kind of money the right thing to do for your kids so so then okay let's 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 take that logic a little bit further right does that mean then that once you you know the kid grows up they're like six seven you know they're going through school once you have the chance to enlist them in say private school let's say for their high school years does that become a necessity i would say for the high school years if your main goal is college then you know i don't know once again it really depends because i don't know where you live that yeah. really yeah like i went like, to public if you live school, if you live but... in a place right if you live in a place where the public school system's not that great but you have the money Yes, yeah, send them to private school. It's a better investment. If you mm-hmm. live in a place like in Maryland, like in uh, Howard County or Montgomery County, where the public school system is amazing and they constantly pump kids out to elite colleges um, or that you pump them out to, to colleges where they do very well, um, then yeah, send them to public school. Why would you waste the money on private school when the public school <coughs> okay. system is so great? But. 
But here's the thing about PMC parents, at least my perspective of what they would do is that if they're both PMCs, they're both, you know, they're doing the whole dual income thing. They're probably living in a pretty good neighborhood with pretty good schools, but they're also the kind of parents who would send their kids to private school anyway, despite the fact that they're public Okay, so that, I have something to say about that. So, okay. um, and let's, I guess I have to back up a little bit. I would say like the PMC, that whole value system, since it's not really a class of people, they've always like, They've always had luxury beliefs and luxury values, but no real interest in ever helping anyone but themselves. <laughs> so sending their kids yeah. to private school is just a, it's just a status signifier, just like everything else they do. Are they really yeah. helping their kids or do they just want to be able to tell people, oh, my kid goes to Dalton or my kid goes to Brearley? I think that's definitely a part of it. Um, I think you bring up a really good point. Like, I, I, I see a lot of this, like these parenting stories, you know, um, from parents themselves who are in this, in this, in this rat race with their kids. And part of me just takes a step back and wonders, like, why the fuck did you have kids to begin with? I think I, the same thing. And all I think the time. people lose yeah. lose sight of that too, right? Like, if it's this hard and you gotta you gotta put yourself through hell and your kids through hell. Did you lo- completely lose your mind on what the purpose of having kids even was? They absolutely like, have you just did. never stopped to li- like is is the entire goal of this to ba- basically use your kids as like unmolded clay that you gotta you gotta shape and force through an extruder yes. into the shape you like? Yeah. It, was that the entire even the whole sum goal. of parenting? Even the whole goal of college admissions, it's like, do these people really think that their children are going to benefit from a Harvard education or do they just really want to tell everyone that their kid goes to Harvard? Which Mm -hmm. one is it? I think it's a it's a hard question, um, and this kind of dovetails with the previous pods we did, where people, where you guys, uh, you, Teen, uh, Kyle, and Adam, uh, kind of talked through reasons why or why not to have children. Um, I mean, it it seems like parents can get caught up in that too and lose sight of that too. It's it's I- really. I like, think was that, the point of this not to just have a family? Like that's isn't to have a happy, healthy. It was another family? way to build status. Yeah, that's all it is. I mean, these I think seem about miserable. Like, the varsity like, they don't blues, actually even like their kids that much. The varsity blues event that happened. Do you remember that when yeah, all those celebrities who were millionaires and they were going, they were like paying people thousands of dollars to get their kids into schools like USC and it, or Stanford. And it was like, do you really think that those kids, uh, who was the one at the very, very center of the whole thing? Isn't there oh, some uh, uh, actress? Who Lori like Laughlin. Yeah. Lori Laughlin. Yeah. And what was yeah. her daughter's name? She had that Instagram thing. Olivia. She, was like some, a, she had an Italian last name. Yeah. I, was I it thought Olive that story was, was it Olivia? Hilarious. What was her name? I think it's Olivia. Uh, Olivia something. <laughs> She's just yeah, up on Instagram so, being like, I didn't even want to go to college to begin right. with. Right. Like, and it why? was like, if you listen to that girl <laughs> on Instagram and it was like, okay, like, I'm sorry, but your daughter is just not meant to go to that school. There is no, she's not going to get anything out of that school at all. She has no ambition. She's probably of like, probably below average or just average intelligence that in the end she has enough, you guys have enough money that she probably doesn't even have to go. You know, mm-hmm. you guys can obviously buy her a job somewhere. You can buy her an internship and then she can live off of your wealth. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like a lot, she'll of probably, the, a lot of the stars. She, she's good looking enough that she will probably just marry some guy who's just going to take care of her and he'll worry about paying the bills and making all the money. That's actually, that what that's what that girl's future point. is. Yeah, she actually like in the middle of the legal like when shit was really hitting the fan, she kind of just ducked out. She left the house and like was living with her rich boyfriend at his parents' house in of Malibu. Of course, it was a rich boyfriend, and he's going to stay yeah. rich. They're both going to stay rich forever. But it wasn't yeah. about success that the these parents were worried about. They wanted to be able to say that their daughter goes to USC. Hmm. I wonder if such something else to they it were too. not like, worried I a- about they were not worried about how is my daughter going to get a job and survive in this world 
I wonder if it was, though. Like, there's some level of accomplishment these people were themselves unable to tap into, and they wanted to secure that for their kids. Like, I really, I noticed how a bunch of the people at the heart of the scandal did not themselves have degrees. They had and wealth, if, but they didn't have the prestige that comes, yeah, they were trying to buy their children the prestige. Yeah, like, it's like some acceptance that their position was kind of by luck, right? Like, they, they were lucky enough to make it in an extremely tough industry. They don't see the same prospects opening up for their kids that they it's not really none of this is a really replicable path so they kind of put their money towards like securing a very a very like stable course to middle class success which is just having they were looking for stability it's like couldn't they just put their daughter in like community college to state college where she probably no yeah that's embarrassing embarrassing. come on see that's that's the thing if they were really worried if they were really worried about success and about her making it and getting a, a stable and secure job, then community college to state college and get some normie job somewhere making like $200,000 a year and just being fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I agree. If they were you. really worried about just her survival in the world, that's fine. But no, we've admitted it. And like, so have they, where it's like they want prestige. They want prestige for themselves. Mostly their daughter didn't care. While still not, while still not accepting like all the BS that uh, plebes people they feel are beneath them have to go through, right? Like the 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 varsity blues was about you know there's a back door, right? Uh, there's a front door, which is what we all had to walk through, right? We had to study hard, get the grades, mm-hmm. uh, get the test scores, and then we came in through the front door. And then people like Jared Kushner, like the really the you know the Vanderbilts, Rockefellers, whoever, they're rich enough to go there to send their kids in through the back door, right? Just giving mm-hmm. a ten million dollar endowment or whatever to a school, and they get secure themselves an admission. This is kind of a, and then they describe this one as the side door, mm-hmm. right? Which is which is kind of like you know that's this is what a pmc is it's a kind of a middle layer right um kind of an in-between mushy layer um where you're kind of cutting corners uh doing doing some i resent side door so much because it sounds like it's legal i know um but like uh, I, think that, I think that's the most interesting part of this whole thing. And, and Liza, you remember we did the um, that unverified accounts episode with Chris yeah. on the, yeah. you know, we talked about this aspect of it, right? And it, it's it's the most interesting part to me because it's like, it's the common pressure that the PMC are feeling. The PMC are not like the upper class. The upper class are the ones going through the back door. Mm-hmm. They, the upper class have pushed things so far because of the, the huge disparity between even the PMC's income and the, the like truly one or 0.1% income that the PMC had to like pay a fuck ton of money to even get like a kind of premium mediocre experience, right? Like getting into USC, right? They're not going to get into Harvard with that kind of money. Um, yeah, and it's it, USC. It's like yeah, getting extra joke, cheese right? yeah. at Subway or something. <laughs> like, what are you, like, what are you doing here? Yeah. yeah. And, and I think, I mean, that's, that, that's the true thing about the, the added kind of like money pressures in the PMC is that like, they have to cough out a ton of cash they're like struggling to cough up the cash, right? They're, they're like trying to keep up. This is the keep up, keeping up the Joneses thing, Eliza, that you, that you were yeah. talking about, right? It's, yeah. And it's not just the, the Joneses being their own peers, but also like people who are above them in class as well and trying to kind of maintain that um, seemingly high class status when they don't really actually have it and they can barely afford it. If they can't afford it, it's through a lot of debt, right? And so it's this kind of really troublesome, precarious situation that even the PMC are in as well. Um, and co- for what? Just to be able to brag to your friends? It's so useless. That's that's part of it, but also trying to maintain. It sounds like your children are sacrificial lambs. They they are because I think about like all these people. You know, we talked a lot in in our in our um, Discord chat about like all these crazy people with like insane credit card bills trying to keep up with like their their, there's like trips to the Swiss Alps to go skiing and shit, right? Um, And it really makes me wonder, like if if. Debt, like debt is driving a lot of PMC um, kind of spending habits. Like it's all based on debt. Then they're leaving a pretty bad legacy for their kids, right? Because if they die, they're going to pass that debt right on to their kids. It's going to be a huge exactly. issue. Exactly. And for what? Do their kids even want this stuff? I guarantee their kids, well, if they do, it's influenced by their parents. But they probably it's, it's, wouldn't be able to articulate why they need it, who benefits I from think it, that's how they trap. Would- 
because you're trying to you do all these things um, as a family to expose your kids to this to kind of build up their sense of entitlement um, as to who they are as people, right? What they should come to expect from life, right? As they're due, what they are what what they are owed from life, basically. Um, and this is, I think, this is part of the PMC delusion, right? Again, that acting like being a PMC is a is an is an actual class, a heritable class, right? But all you're doing is inst- instilling the expectation and the entitlement without the actual like bankroll to to even fund it yourselves. At best, you're just you're setting your kids up to be able to earn back that status themselves sometime in adulthood. Um, so basically, I, just running in place. Yeah, you're perpetuating. Basically, this. Yeah. but it's it's also it's it's also a lot of self delusion. Um, I think a thing that doesn't get talked about enough is that you know this pressure we talk we call it keeping up with the Joneses. I want to know how much of this is actually just internal self like conception, like maintaining your own sense of self, basically. Like the spending, uh, like the spending part of it obviously is about you know. Um, like making sure that people around you know exactly who you are or that they you are who you want to be, right, in their eyes. But um, but a lot of the spending is on is on non-visible things too. So I wonder if this is just a part of like assuaging like mental personal anxiety. Like maybe your position is not as stable as you think it is. Uh, maybe it's not as uh, as as heritable. Like your children have no guarantee that they can that they can live the way uh, you do, um, and you just keep spending to maintain that delusion. And again, it comes back to you know, like why are you doing this at all? What was your purpose of being of building a family? It seems like at the most narcissistic, it would be it would be a criticism of this class having kids basically as just a part of their own like life. Uh, to fulfill their own vision of what a, a good life is for them. So kids are almost incidental to that vision. They are, they are objects um, that you are using to shore up your own sense of self and your position in society. I think that there are ways to predict who is going to be this kind of parent because almost everybody that I went to high school and college with now has children. And I can tell by the way that they behaved back then, you know, 20 years ago, how they were going to be as parents. And it's pretty much always been like right on point, like the kinds of people that really had big anxiety about who they were, if they were hanging out with the right people in high school, Mm -hmm. if they were joining the right clubs, if they had like, you know, everything had to be the right boyfriend or the right girlfriend or the right date to prom, you know, Mm -hmm. if they were seen at the right parties on the weekends. These are the same people that have anxiety about the most trivial things in parenthood. And they are so, they sound so miserable. Like these are the people who like, should I buy the $800 baby monitor? Like, oh my God. my <laughs> baby's about gonna... that, Liza? Was it... Yes. Yeah, like, okay, my baby's yeah. going to die if I don't get the $800 baby monitor. Or, you know, our, my child's walks are not going to be, they're not going to be getting what they need from their nature walks if I don't get the $1,600 jogging stroller. Right. If I don't get that right stroller, we might as well just not even have a baby at all. We might as well not take them on a walk outside I, I can put it I can put a name of that stroller. It is the Upper Baby Vista V2. It is So a, that's the stroller that we had. It's okay? a nice stroller. Once again, I wasted my money on an expensive stroller. <laughs> but you see people because everywhere. Because we, like, we it, went on vacation and we had to borrow a stroller from somebody and it was one of those like $49.99 umbrella strollers. Yeah. And guess what? It was fine. Totally fine. They're also more <laughs> totally compact fine. and lighter too. They're, yeah, it, it was, yeah, they were so much easier to pack up and carry from place to place. The upper baby stroller was a pain in the ass. Yeah. But, but that's the and stroller. It was a that's total just, waste of money. That is the stroller. How you much to, was it? At the time I bought it, it was 1200 Oh, yeah, shit. That's about wow. right. Yeah. And that's before any oh. add-ons and shit, right? Like, that's just for the That base. was before all the accessories. Like, yeah. we had, yeah, so we had to we had to um, get the extender to make it like a double stroller yeah. when the second baby was born that's actually practical to be fair that part <laughs> i used the double stroller once 
Oh, really? And you got rid of it? We I think never I, used I, think it I bought ever. cup holders for it for, for off a of friend's like like uh, like baby registry. Like yep. I didn't know what the heck like I guess it like cup holders or just clip it onto the handle or something. It was like there's 70 a, yeah, bucks. There's a something. ton of accessorizing you can do on it. You can like 1200 is like the base, right? You can spend another grand or more on just like <laughs> oh, accessories no. and add-ons and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, that's where the baby so. registry comes in is, you know, spend uh, that spend d- around. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. Can I spoiler? We, can, I'd buy a spo- spoiler for someone for someone's baby stroller. You are <laughs> not going to use that stroller yeah. nearly as much as you think you are. Yeah. <laughs> it depends on how you raise your kids. Some, some people keep their, their kids like in their strollers till they're like six or eight or ten, I hear. Like it, ridiculous ages. Ten years sense. old? Yeah, the strollers are. are, are so in kind fourth of grade, your kids riding around in a stroller? I. It, it is a thing that has happened. I don't think it happens very frequently, but some parents just like allow their kids to just, you know, be in the stroller all the fucking time. Uh, yeah, for 1200 bucks. Yeah, you're going to be using that shit until you go off to college. That's fair. You're amortizing it. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, can, we talk, can we talk about that, that like $600, $800 uh, baby monitor for a second? So I told, We never had a baby monitor. There you go. Okay. I told my, I told Eliza about this baby monitor because my friend who is having a kid around the same time as me was like, Hey, like, Hey, Philip, like, what do you think? Like, what, which baby monitor are you going to get? And I was like, I don't know. Like I haven't even purchased the fucking stroller or the crib or the bassinet yet. <laughs> like, why you're not going to need any of that stuff. You really well, won't. He said, he's okay, like, the crib you're going to need. You're not going to need the stroller no, some, for a while. There's some stuff you need in the yeah. different levels of it. But the baby monitor, he was like, this is the, this is the one you have to buy. It is the most expensive one. It's 800 bucks. It has like a, like a, a you know, high resolution video camera and it can do, I guess through machine learning or AI or something, it can it can track your baby's sleep patterns and breathing patterns. Oh my God, guess what? You're gonna know your baby's awake. You know why? Because it's gonna wake up and scream. <laughs> You're gonna and the, know. And the craziest thing is that he lives in like a one plus one, like one bedroom with a den, which is just like an attached office. He lives in a one bedroom apartment and he needs a baby monitor. <laughs> yeah. The kid's and- gonna be right next to him the whole time. And, and this is, I mean, you're, the point you were making, Liza, about like how you can kind of tell, you can tell a parent's kind of level of anxiety based on like how they were before he's they became a parent. He's that guy. He's the guy that I'm talking about. He's well, going to spend, he's going to spend like $37,000 on preschool. He's going to spend $800 on the baby monitor. He's probably going to get um, the $1,600 base jogger stroller and then he's going to add on another thousand with all the accessories yeah he's a guy who only buys flagship phones and thinks that like Apple's what kind of car does he have only iphones make sense he has like a honda civic he doesn't he has a honda civic he's, but he bought it he bought a crv instead so he's pretty frugal in that point but he, okay, he is a bit materialistic like he likes you know because nicer i have a friend stuff. who has one of those porsche um what's the big porsche the cayenne the cayenne that's the, nice yes. it's the a porsche nice car SUV. Yep. And then mm-hmm. had two kids, and if you see the inside, the back seat, that leather <laughs> is ripped apart everywhere. Oh, no. oh and it, no. there is like stains everywhere. You know, it's been vomited on. It's been peed on. Oh, no. I think that's an interesting kind of recurring theme about this kind of PMC parenting. Is you should have just you should have just gotten yourself like a Nissan Rogue or something, or like a Kia Carnival, something where if your kid vomits and they will vomit often. Yeah. You don't care. Like all this overspending seems to just backfire more than it does actually help you it always be a backfires. better parent. Yeah. Right? Because of just the practicalities of like your disgusting barfing kid, you know? Or or the practicality of like your kid like having like daycare having zero effect on whether or not your kid's gonna make it into an Ivy League school. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. entirely driven by When you have status. more than one kid, you can finally compare like, uh, was all that money worth it? Because I'm not gonna do it sure, again. Yeah. I'm not going to do it three times, you know, like for me, by the time I got to kid number three, it was like, I'm not spending that money again. And it turned out to be just fine, which means I never should have spent the money to begin with on any of that stuff. Yeah. Well, when you say fine, what is your vision for, uh, like what, like vision for how, what you want from a successful family, right? It's different from everybody, right? Um, I, well, no, I think I think that PMC have a pretty pa- pathological conception of that, and and whether it comes down to Harvard, right? Not, it's not it's not self aware, right? I don't think we're consciously talking about it or thinking through what it actually meet, what the ramifications of the various decisions we make, what it'll so actually you can be smug. up to. So you can be yeah. smug, right? Like 
if you take like the health, well-being, like happiness of your children first and foremost, I don't think you you make a lot of these decisions. Right? I think they feel virtuous. I think when they say mm. like I bought I bought the $500 car seat and I bought the $800 baby monitor because I want what's best for my kids. I think I want what's best for my kids. Yes. Yes. I think that that Mm -hmm. is a, a certain kind of like virtue signaling.